0: Over the last few weeks, I have, I've taught a couple of lessons, and I need to go back, and I'm not going to read the scripture, I'm just going to remind you of these two. From Matthew chapter 18, I spoke on the unmerciful servant. There was a king who, going through his accounts, realized that there was someone there who owed him millions and millions of dollars, and how when he came before the king, all he could do was simply say, if you'll be patient, I'll pay it all back the king was moved by the man and forgave him this great debt. He turned right around and went to a fellow servant who owed him only a few dollars, demanded payment when he wouldn't pay, asking him the same thing that he had asked of the king. He had him thrown into prison until the debt was paid. We recognized in that story that the first man received this great canceling of a great debt. But we also know that he was Very much forgiven, but he was not changed. His life was not transformed. He had had an encounter with the king. He had been forgiven much, a debt that he couldn't possibly pay, but it didn't transform him. Had he received the gift? Yes. Did it change his life? Absolutely not. The next was the ten lepers from Luke chapter 17. Ten men received healing. Ten men's lives were drastically changed by that healing, but only one returned. Those nine men received something. They received healing and had a tremendously different life, but they were not changed. They were not transformed. I share this because I am very convinced and very convicted that most of us have received forgiveness of a great debt that we couldn't pay. Many have received healing of very broken lives and very broken hearts, but we have not been changed and we have not been transformed. Did we receive something? Yes. Can we point back to a time in our life where there was this great reality of God, of this great blessing? Our salvation should be the start of that story, but other times in in the brokenness when God opened his arms, received us, healed us, restored us. And we received something of of such greatness. But now it's been long enough that the great evidence is here that we weren't changed by that moment. We weren't transformed by that moment. Did it happen? Absolutely. But just like this one leper who turned back, in the first scripture of of the servants, there's great evidence that he was relatively unmoved by what the king had done. I would ask you this morning as I begin into this message Is there evidence that you have been greatly moved by what God has done for you? Are you greatly moved? Is your life significantly different? Are you telling a different story? Do you live a different life because of what God has done? Great evidence that he was relatively unmoved. In the second scripture of the ten lepers, there's great evidence that the nine were unmoved by their great healing. As a matter of fact, you couldn't tell the difference between what their life was like before and what their life was like after. My message last week showed some level of surprise on Jesus' part because these ten men were very united in their misery. They were all standing there together. They were all crying out to God together, crying out to Jesus together, asking with a very common request that Jesus would do something. So they were standing there in their misery in this united way making this claim before jesus asking this question and then they come to jesus one comes back and there's an element of surprise when he says where are the other nine i don't think he was as much wondering why they they weren't grateful it's why there wasn't as much unity in their salvation as much unity in their healing as there was unity in their misery And I wonder sometimes in my message last week addressed this. Why are we not completely united? Those of us sitting here collectively who have been redeemed, a great price paid for us, our life so changed, our eternal destiny has been changed, why we are not completely unified in those things of God? So my question from last week was addressing why we are not united in our love of God, why we're not united in our love for each other, While we're not united in the unity of faith, in a unity of praise and a unity in prayer. Why aren't we? Where did the wheels fall off? United in misery, all coming to the same God, coming to the same Savior, coming with the same voice, asking for the same thing, saying, God, forgive me of the sins that I've committed, the sin nature that I carry, but absolutely no or very little unity after the healing and after the salvation. I put this question... Before the Lord. And I I have an answer this morning that I'm not sure it's going to be as earth-shattering to you as it was to me when God showed it. But this is something that I know that I'm supposed to share. Jan and I had lunch on Monday with Joe Allen and Joanna Stone. I want to read you just a comment from the biography of, of Joe Allen Stone. Joe Stone earned his Ph.D. from Michigan State University in 1977 and came to the University of Oregon in 1979 In 1984. He returned to Washington, D.C. He had worked for the Bureau of Statistics before that. He returned to Washington, D.C. for a one-year stint as a senior economist on the President's Council of Economic Advisors, advising them and the White House on international trade policy. On his return to Eugene in 1985, he was named the W.E. Minor Professor of Economics. After nearly a decade in administration, Stone also served as the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences between 1998 and 2006. His writings and other things are very prolific. He's a, he's a well-known economist. And Jan and I had lunch with him on, and his wife on Monday, not because of any kind of privilege, but because he's Jan's first cousin. Still lives in Eugene and just every couple of years makes a trip home to see Jan's mother, who is his dad's sister, and uh, the two or three of them that are left. When I walked into the house and, and he stood up, I had forgotten that six years ago he had a massive stroke. His left arm is useless in his words. His left leg, great difficulty. I had an opportunity to just talk to him alone for just a few minutes. There was something in his story that I knew I needed to hear. So I got him alone and uh, for just a few minutes, and I asked him, I said, Joe, how did you survive this? How are you able to do what you're now able to do? And he said, Randy, he said, I woke up from that stroke, and here he is with these credentials, and he said, I could not add and subtract. I couldn't add two numbers. I couldn't add two and two. My brain would not process it. And he said the difficulty was that I could remember the man that I used to be. That didn't go away. And here I am now, this man who can't add and subtract, trying to mentally and emotionally handle this, figure something out. I stood there with tears in my eyes as he began to share. And some of these things are too personal and I can't share them. But I I asked him, when you couldn't feed yourself, when you couldn't get your hand to your mouth, when you suffered this mental and emotional anguish, of being so drastically altered by this devastating event, I asked him how he overcame such anguish. And he spoke of family and friends. He spoke of Joanna, his wife, their daughters, and their son. He spoke of his colleagues. He he said when he was in in rehab, the coach for the University of Oregon football team came and just brought him T-shirts, shirts, socks, shoes, everything he could possibly need in the rehab facility, and so much more than he could ever have uh, have used they brought to him because they cared for him the patients in the next room would tell him i'm so glad that your family comes i'm so glad that your friends come i'm so glad that your colleagues come because he said day after day the rooms would be empty and the people in the rooms around him said we we're glad when they come because we get to overhear y'all's conversations and it helps I'm not sure mentally and emotionally I can even begin to adjust to think of what he was going through. I can imagine a little bit. He spoke of doctors and nurses and those healthcare professionals that were so amazingly good and therapists who gradually put him back together after such a great fall. And he came back and he taught six more years at the University of Oregon and he's still there helping students, He's 66 years old. This happened when he was 60, still helping students and doing all the things that he can possibly do, even in his retirement. I asked him how he made it, and with great simplicity but with great profundity, he made this statement. Caught me off guard. He said, Randy, I once thought that gratitude was the gift that I would give back to others when I was the recipient of a gift or an act of kindness. Through this stroke and this long recovery, I have discovered that gratitude is a gift that was given to me. Now, I heard that, and, and, and it kind of sets me spinning. He said, I first thought that gratitude was the gift I gave back to others when they would do something for me. And he said, then I realized that wasn't the case. The difference that was made in his life that brought him out of, partly brought him out of this great difficulty was that he says, I realized that gratitude was the gift that had been given to me, and it, was what, and it was out of that gratitude that things began to be restored. It was out of that gratitude that it became a place of life. Out of that gratitude, many, many things had changed. He says it brought great determination. I just stood there in front of him just crying. I asked him for permission to share this, part of this, with people around me. And he certainly said, absolutely. And I put his statement that where he had left off, I put it before the Lord. And I said, Lord, there's something here. There's something I need to know based on what he just told me. And that truth kind of brought full circle this why so many of us have received something from God, but we're not transformed. What happened? What broke in that moment? Because it would seem such, like such a natural thing that if we're going to receive this gift, If we're going to receive this great gift of salvation, this great gift of deliverance, this great gift of healing, that we ought to flow so naturally like the one did who returned, that we ought to flow so naturally into that praise and worship. Something is broken. Something happens in a moment right here. And with those words, it hit me. When your child is standing there beside you and somebody walks up to them and they hand them a gift or they do something kind for your child, what do you automatically say to that child? Say, thank you. It hit me. The reason that we're not transformed, the reason we're not changed, is because the first gift that God wants to give us, not not our response, but the first gift that God wants to give us that will bring us into that other life is gratitude. And most of us would say, well, I'm very grateful for what God has done for me. No, that's our our trying to say something back to God. This is that hard but small difference. Gratitude is not something we give, gratitude is something we have to receive. The very natural overflow, then, of that gratitude that God gives us will be expressed to others in our thank you and our appreciation. But we first have to receive that gift of gratitude before our gratitude can even be profoundly expressed. Do you think the other nine who didn't return were grateful? yeah they were i'm sure if they had seen jesus on the street they would have been glad to say man that was great i'm so glad that you did that and they would offer it back to jesus as a comment of appreciation for what he had done that's typically our praise this one who came back somehow strangely had received something powerfully different what would stop him in his tracks He was going like the rest of them. All of them's bodies were being transformed at the same time. All of them were going to the priest so that they could be declared clean, so that they could go back to their families. Something happened in this one that was so unique, so profound, that it stopped him in his tracks, stopped him from going to the priest, made Jesus more important than his going home, completely changed his direction, put him on his knees before Jesus, and I don't know if he was comfortable doing that or not. I don't know if he was raised conservative. I don't know if he was raised charismatic. I don't know how he was raised, but I can tell you something so changed in him that, put, that finding himself at Jesus' feet and not caring anything about what anybody else thought about where he was or who he was talking to, something changed in him out there when, when, he, when his life was transformed. Something happened that turned him around, and I believe, based on what God has shown, is that he was grateful. He received something that the other nine refused to receive. I hope you can see the difference. Joe said it very well. I once thought that gratitude was what I offered back to others, the gift I gave them. No, gratitude is the gift I had to first receive. Because then what could he do with, with a life that didn't look anything like the one he used to have? What could he be? Grateful. Do you think it would be hard to be this economist giving advice to the President of the United States and now finding yourself where you can't add two and two. What do you do with that if you don't begin with being grateful? I want us to look at one scripture, and I'll be very brief, but I want us to go to Psalm 102. I'm just going to read three verses. It speaks some to what Jay had mentioned from my past lessons. The background of this is that Israel had been in rebellion, Israel had been in the place where Israel had found itself many times. It had been carried away into captivity. Only the poorest of Israel had been left in the land. Jerusalem was a heap of desolation, and that was all the testimony that it had. The whole country was like a desert. And that was what God saw when he looked down on Jerusalem and spoke these words. Psalm 102, verse 19. For he has looked down from the height of his sanctuary... From heaven did the Lord behold the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, when the people are gathered together and the kings to serve the Lord. Listen to this again. God looked down from the heights of his sanctuary from heaven. Did he behold what was going on on the earth? And he heard the groaning of those who were in prison, And to loose those who had been appointed to death. He heard the misery. He saw the anguish. And he was moved to something far different. Listen to what it says. He came to them so they could do something. He came to them in their misery to restore them. He came there to heal them. He came there to save them so they could do something in response to his healing. To his salvation and to his restoration. He said, I want to do this. Because this needs to be accomplished. I want to change you. I want to save you so that you can declare the name of the Lord. I want to save you and I want to restore you so that you can bring praise in Jerusalem. I want to restore you and I want to heal you and I want to deliver you so that when you are gathered together, do you get the unity? Do you understand what he's saying? So that when I have done what I'm going to do, And life and love is going to be restored. Salvation is going to come to Israel. And I'm going to heal this land. And you're going to be my people. I do it so that you can be together and declare me before Zion and preach me and teach me in Jerusalem. And I do it so that you can serve the Lord. He saw the devastation. And he heard their cry. And he responded. Charles Spurgeon preaching on this passage call that verse eloquent gratitude simply being grateful for what god had done simply grateful for the salvation that he had given the healing he had brought and the restoration he had brought to a nation simply being eloquently grateful so that the name of god would be declared so that people would be served and there would be praise once again in jerusalem I think that's why Jesus was surprised that the nine didn't come back. We don't know the reason. But I do find this equally amazing. Here we are, the majority of us, if not all of us, touched by the love of God and the salvation that he brought. And I think it's odd that the unity that he speaks of, that Jesus expected, has strangely given way to this thought within the church that I'm saved I'm this independent character before God, only accountable to Him. I'm unique in the way that He made me, I'll express myself the way that I want to, I won't do anything that's uncomfortable to me, because in my healing, I'm completely independent. I stand alone. I justify my actions, I justify my opinions, I justify my behaviors, I rationalize all the things about me completely upon one basis and that is I'm accountable only to God and God is saying but I did this so that I could pull you together so that you could be a spiritual house so that there'd be one that is being recognized and a unity among us and we fight against the unity the world ought to be able to see that we are unified in the way that we love one another that should be the first and greatest evidence that something powerful is happening here because we love one another We'll be known by it. We should be unified in in our love for him. And just like the one who returned, I don't care what anybody around me thinks. I have an audience of one. We all collectively have an audience of one that says, I don't have to yield. I know who I am. And in that reality before God is those of us who are saved, restored and healed. We bow on our knees and we cry holy. If you're not grateful today, if you haven't received that gratitude that he wants to give you so that it can pour out of you very naturally and tear down the boundaries and tear down the borders, if you're not grateful today, I promise you someday you will be because you're going to stand at the judgment seat and you're going to stand there looking at Jesus face to face. And the only regret you're going to have is, I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have made that free will choice Jay was talking about, about this kind of soil that I am. I wish I would have done it when I was 10 or 12 or 20 or 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 and not coming to this reality today as I stand before Jesus wishing that my life had been the absolute evidence of a grateful heart before the Father. Just to be grateful. Have you received much? Have you been changed? Have you been transformed? The world will make its own assessment. Your friends will make their own decisions about who you are. The question is simple. Does your life now look radically different than it did before? That's the real test. Do you value something very different now than you did before you were saved, before you were healed, before you were delivered? Do you value something? Do you worship differently than you did before? How different does your life look as a transformed person, changed radically? Wouldn't it have been strange for Paul on Friday nights to go out and persecute Christians for old times' sake? Wouldn't it have been odd for him to hunt down Christians and put them in prison and just laugh about it? You know, this is, this is what I used to do. I don't do this anymore. I just do it every now and then for fun. No, because Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And everything that you see in Paul's life after that moment was radically different because he was transformed. He was radically changed. That's the question this morning. Are you radically changed, transformed, grateful? Have you received what I believe was the first step? Did you receive the gratitude that he wanted to give you so that you could express it then in worship? So that the worship was not coming out of you trying to say, God, thank you. It was the gratitude he gave you that was now being freely expressed, pouring out of you without boundaries and without limits. Lord, we come to you this morning thanking you, knowing, Lord, that gratitude is a gift that you have to give us, just like your love. We can't love well until we receive your love first. We can't be truly grateful until we receive that gift of gratitude first. And I know, Lord, I know for myself, I know for this body that once we turn and receive that gift of gratitude, the way that we express it will be drastically different The evidence will be mighty and powerful, not only in in our praise, but in everything that we do. Because it will show in the way that we love each other, how we greet each other. It will show, Lord, in how we help and how we assist those around us. I know, Lord, without joy, it will be obedience with absolute joy. It will show on our faces. It will radiate from our lives that we are grateful to the one who saved us, who paid such a price for us, who came to bring healing in those very broken moments, in those moments of desperation. And I pray, Lord, that our lives would be a constant and consistent witness of the dynamic difference that you have made. Because we know absent you, there is no hope. There is no change. There is no healing. There is no transformation. So we come to you in Jesus' name with grateful hearts. Amen.